Welcome to You Haven't Seen That, the uh, podcast where we sit down and we watch classic films that my co-host has not seen from the 80s and 90s. My name is Chris. Uh, and I'm Eric, and uh, thanks for joining us. So, this is our third episode so far. Correct. Um, kind of slowly working our way through a massive list of, like I said, the films that you missed uh, growing up. Uh, from the 80s and 90s and things. Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, and uh, the film that we pulled out of the hat last week, uh, last episode for, to watch today, is Robert Zemeckis' 1988 film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? But tell me, Eddie, is that a rabbit in your pocket or you're just happy to see me? Touchstone Pictures and Steven Spielberg present a Robert Zemeckis film. We tunes me, I did the attic, but we're not stupid. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, so this is a bit different to some of the others that ended up in the hat. Some of them ended up in there because I, um, like I said, with Top Gun, every other kid at school had seen it, and uh, and I hadn't, and I just felt like I was kind of missing out. This one was always one that kind of intrigued me. I saw, like, the images of, uh, I think I mentioned last week's podcast, of Bob Hoskins and Roger Rabbit handcuffed together in the front seat of a car, mm. I believe. That's the image I have in my head anyway. Um, and thinking... You know, I watched a bit of Warner Brothers as a kid, which was on TV and stuff. Never much Roger Rabbit, um, but the other characters. Well, that's the interesting thing. Is, is he Warner Brothers? No. That's he what is I a, thought. He's not. He's a made-up character for this film. There you go. So that's why... However, he has <laughs> since kind of been incorporated to some degree, to the extent that he, there's a ride of him at Disneyland. Yeah, see, this is where I got confused. Yeah, As that, a young adult, it. I um, didn't have any of this backstory. So that'll be a, an interesting one to, to get out. So I've already learnt something mm. before even... We haven't even watched the film yet, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. This is... Um, we're going to try something a little bit different for this episode. We're kind of, you know, learning as we go with the show. And so what we, Eric had the idea of uh, kind of doing a little bit of a pre-record, talking about, you know, his expectations, what he knows and probably thinks will happen in the film, I guess, and a little bit of backstory on it before we jump into the film and then we'll have the kind of a bit of reflection yeah, yeah. so I mean I, for this one yeah it, it's in the list because it's sort of one that always kind of intrigued me as a kid I liked Warner Brothers I love Space Jam mm. um, and I, I do know it, it was one of the earliest if not the first real successful cartoon animation with live action with live action uh not adaptations, but films. <laughs> yeah, like, the the other big one that people kind of point out is the Ralph Bakshi film Cool World, which was, I think, maybe a year or two before this, which stars uh, Gabriel Byrne, a young Brad Pitt, and Kim Bassinger, and it's um, it's very much an adult <laughs> film. And you see, I've never heard of that one. It, it's, the very, it's very basic in terms of its animation, like, it's very flat and still, whereas... What makes Who Framed Roger Rabbit such an interesting and important film, I think, is the actual incorporation of the animation and the live action. But I think we'll get into that a little bit more after. Exactly. You've seen I'm. The film. It, it, my understanding is they do a very good job of it. Basically, <laughs> that's what. We're, yeah. So that's my understanding of, um, the, of what a reason why the film was meant to have held up pretty well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess I'm expecting that from it. I'm expecting capers. Mm-hmm. Wacky capers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I, until talking to Chris a little bit earlier, I, I always just thought it was Roger Rabbit and humans, but it sounds like there's more than one there's, there's character a little bit more, in there. Yeah. Um, so that's something I, I am looking forward to finding out a bit more about. And uh, from the DVD cover, 
There's a car and oh, Jessica Rabbit as well. Yep. I recognise her. She's looking incredibly all incredibly iconic. She's looking all saucy in the back seat behind the two of them, and yeah. the car is looking like Herbie the Love Bug, but more of a convertible and even happier. Um, oh, Benny. Benny. All <laughs> That's right. His good. Name. So I've got some good stuff to look forward to. I think. Yeah, um, this, this is going to be an interesting one. Um, when did you first see it? I first saw it. Uh, this similar. T- uh, this was one of those films I had taped off TV as a kid. Yep. Um, and myself and my brother watched it so many times <laughs> the tape wore out. You killed the tape. Uh, pretty much, or like you know, it'd be really fuzzy and things. I did like that to a, like a Winnie the Pooh adventure or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. And so <laughs> it's one where even now when I watch it like on DVD and things, I still have in my head like no commercial break here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like there was a couple of those similar ones for me, and they had like commercial breaks. The old Ghostbusters toys, oh, where, where awesome. you press the button on their back, and yep. their like eyes would boggle out, and their yep. jaw would drop. <laughs> but I can't think what that would have been for. Probably that Winnie, same Winnie the Pooh, like nineteen eighties Disney tip yeah. weekend movie, Land of Milk and Honey, I think it was. But anyway, for all you, all you people out there <laughs> looking, looking for something new to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, no, so this is a film that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, I've always been a huge fan of it. Um, growing up, you know, watching it as a kid, you obviously engage because of cartoons and it's a fun mm. caper and all of this stuff, but um, I, I haven't seen it for quite a while as an adult, but I know, I, I talked to our friend Tom um, about mm. it. He, he watched it actually about a month ago, Yeah, and uh, we were out having a drink on the other night and I asked him you know how does it hold up and he said it's even better as an adult than Sweet. as a kid so. alright intriguing because yeah. Um, yeah, I think young Eric probably would have anyway we'll, we'll get to it I guess young Eric probably would have found it good but also a bit you know Warner Brothers is pretty weird yeah oh, they are pretty well, odd. it's actually not a Warner Brothers film it's a no, okay. it's Touchstone and Buena Vista so it's technically under the Disney umbrella okay so yeah. it's this weird hybrid thing yeah I, I've got a little bit of info about like yeah we'll chat about that later, that later but yeah, I think I always found images of the film intriguing, but a little bit, I don't know, I just, Roger Rabbit himself is not as, uh, he's much creepier than Mickey Mouse, let's put it that way, just from his stills at yeah. least, and I know, yeah, so anyway, um, yeah, particularly as an adult now, I'm quite intrigued by it, mm. so yeah, I guess... Well, should we jump into the film then? Let's pop the film on and um, see what we think. Yeah. Alright, we are back, having uh, sat through uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, me for probably the 30 or 40th time, <laughs> and Eric for the first. Number one, yeah. So I guess, uh, initial uh, thoughts? Yeah, that was great, <laughs> is probably the way to put it. That mm. was um, much more than what I expected it to be, mm. on, a, on a lot of levels. Um, um, by that, what, what were you sort of expecting then? Not a lot. I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be... I was expecting it to be good or decent, but mm. I just didn't expect the the complexity of, uh, like, the attention to detail. Um, I, I didn't realise that there was going to be so much of a crossover between just just little bits of Disney and Warner Brothers and animation, um, famous animated characters and things like that. I didn't realise it would be such an, an homage, I yeah. guess, to, um, to animation. Mm. Uh, as well as, I guess we'll talk about it a bit later too, like the thematic elements of segregation and things like that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, sort of brought that up while watching yeah. it. But um, what I think uh, makes the film endure as a, such a classic is 
like, yeah, it, you've got all of those wonderful, fun elements of, you know, the live action and the cartoon interaction, um, the, you know, obviously all the recognizable characters and things. Mm. Hey, what's up, Doc? Jumping without a parachute? Kinda dangerous, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, you could get killed, huh? But the fact that it is such a genuine and unique, interesting kind of film noir detective film at the same time, I think, helps it be somewhat timeless and endure. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, film noir is such a, a, a relatively old, I guess, mm. storytelling device, oh, plot, yeah. uh, but it, it's still timeless. It can be retold in many different ways. It's yeah. retold in modern video games and all sorts of things, but it still works. And this um, blends a yeah, recognisable storytelling device with recognisable characters, takes you back to a different time, which matches the film noir time frame, mm. but also the golden age of animation in a way yeah uh, early animation um and stuff and then just blends all these things you recognize so many different things you recognize into this just great package and the attention to detail on every level is really impressive actually yeah i think that's just uh zemeckis doing his thing he's yeah as a filmmaker he's always been one i I think ever since back to the future Uh, because his first couple of films they're they're great but they're kind of more light fun entertainment like romancing the stone and used cars um but from Back to the Future onwards, with every new film he did, he tried to push an element of uh, special effects in terms of storytelling. Yep. Yep. So, like, obviously Back to the Future with, you know, all of the special effects <laughs> yep. that go with that. But then, you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you go, yep. like, going an extra mile. And then with the Back to the Future 2 and 3, he tried new... T- I'm doing this unspoilery, because yeah, these are on that. our list. Yeah, yeah, they'll be in there. Um, yeah, he goes with, uh, you know, try special effects a different way. Same with Death Becomes Her. I mean, mm-hmm. all the way up to his modern career with motion capture stuff with, you know, Polar Express, Beowulf, yep. and Christmas Carol, and all of that. Yep. So he's always been one of those filmmakers that is, like, storytelling first, and then whatever we can do to advance the medium. He likes a visual... He's an Challenge. innovator. Yeah, a visual, visual challenge or just seeing what he can do yeah. with it. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, God, look, I think, you think of Forrest Gump like that. You don't go away from that film thinking about the incredible effects and everything that happened, but that is a crazy film. Yes. Like the inserting him into old newsreel footage. Yeah, just him like, shaking Nixon's hand and yeah, things like that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Lieutenant Dan's legs being gone. Like, yep. it's, yeah. He, he would, in pretty much every film he does, he tries to push the envelope, which yeah. is... It's a, and do it in a subtle way that you almost don't notice it. Exactly right. Like, I guess, yeah, so with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so it opened with, well, I didn't know what to expect. So it opened with um, Baby Herman and um, and Roger Rabbit, um, and it introduced it as like, you know, in, what, do, do you remember the name of the, it was like a, pres- oh, presented it as a Looney Tunes. Yeah, show, yeah, it was, yeah. And um, and I was like, oh, is this actually a just a short like before a Pixar film kind of thing? Mm. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, but already I was like, I'm like, it was already shot pretty well. Like they very differently to those just flat two dimensional sort of ones, those typical Warner Brothers sort of ones. A lot of rotational camera work and stuff, and very entertaining. And I'm like, oh, but this is you know it's a bit cartoon slapsticky. And then and then all of a sudden the director yells cut, and then you bang, you break into the the human cartoon interaction. It pulls out, and, and it pulls out, and they were just filming filming this in a film studio. And you're like, I'm like, oh, all right, cool. And then um and then you meet Bob Hoskins' character, and he gets his his task, and then he walks out of the studio, and you're already there's just characters everywhere from yeah. some I recognise, some I didn't. Actually, probably even the moment when you first see Dumbo. 
It's just Dumbo. I know who it is. I got him on loan from Disney. Him and half the cast of Fantasia. Yeah. He's got... it, that's the first really recognisable Yeah. One. But um, yeah. what you were saying about those first two kind of shots, when it is the integration of the live action and the animation, what's so impressive about them is that they are just two very long single-take shots as well that are tracking mm. and kind of following Hoskins as he's walking through the back lot. And yep. you're just like... A, this is incredibly shot as a film, and then yeah. B, to incorporate three-dimensional animation into, into it. that as well. Yeah. And and that's it. Like, the whole film is shot really, really well. Mm. Like, I mean, there's the obvious things in terms of, like, it's very believable, firstly. Mm. Um, so the characters, you, you know, it, it looks like they're gripping each other. Like, it looks like Roger's gripping Hoskins' shoulder. Yeah, and, and vice like versa. And yeah. all that sort of stuff. So the actual interactions are believable. And it's also cleverly shot and edited for some that were quite difficult perhaps they just you know if they were rolling around in sort of a fight or something like that and the camera or the edit would just swap at the right moment where something might get a little bit awkward Mm. but um yes it's just it it was obviously very meticulously planned (laughs) and then the animators just just did an incredible stepped up to the plate and um well, we're kind of focusing very heavily on the technical aspects, I suppose, because mm. that it is such a technical marvel of a film. Yeah. But do you mind, like, a ju- like jumping across to, like, the yep. narrative, I yeah, think? Listen, like, yeah, story's a good one. Yeah, because um, that's what I think, like, you know, I've seen this film, like, you know, countless times, yeah, and it's, it's always the thing of, like, you know, watching it as a younger kid, you were like, this is just fun because of the cartoons and the yep. slapstick, and... You, I, you know, more or less got what was happening, like with yep. the narrative and things. It's but, easy enough to follow. But watching it now as an adult, you you really connect with how much of a actually solid noir kind of detective yeah, story. Yeah. Just even down to like the the detail of like, oh, it's it's all about real estate. It's like it's yeah, yeah. And there's all these, you know, they're like. There's so many little references to like you know Los Angeles has the best public transport in the world. <laughs> yeah, there was a like lot of the jabs. trams and things like that, and then the the final speech about how we're going to build a freeway. Mm. What the hell's a freeway? Is yeah. there'll be gas stations and billboards. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I can almost see it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the best thing ever, and it's yeah, look like mature themes in that regard, and yeah, the m- character motivations, and it's so wonderfully executes all of those classic noir elements, like with. You know the the drunk detective with Valiant. He's so yeah. perfect, and having the you know turned his back on you know life after having his brother be murdered. So you've got that whole dark streak. Yeah. The for, like former glory. So you've got the character arc that is gonna yep. have him his ascension back. He used to like laughing. Yeah. He used to be a very good private eye. He used he's to a broken alcoholic. Like yeah. He's that. this crushed alcoholic guy. Um, his office is quite devoid of color and light. Yeah. Um, in that typical sort of noir kind of way. And he just wants the money to buy more alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got the femme fatale with um with Jessica Rabbit and yep. yeah, it, it's just a wonderful kind of amalgam of all of those classic classic elements that I yeah. think just helps it hold up so well. <laughs> yeah, and it's an interesting one because Roger Rabbit, in a way, is kind of a Jar Jar Binks style character. Excuse me, but the most safest place. Would be Gonga City. Oh, he could be incredibly annoying. Yeah, he could be the worst. I don't know how they managed to thread that so perfectly Mm. that he he never becomes such an annoying character. Yeah, he could could be... He could have Jar Jar Binks it completely. He could have been irritating because of um, his hyperactive nature and he's clumsy and he's kind of a bit... He's pretty likeable, but he's very 
klutzy and loud and things like that. But the focus is Hoskins. Yes. Very early on. Um, he is the key protagonist. Yeah. And it's his... It relation- is his arc that we're going on. Exactly. And... Um, and you never have any reason to dislike Roger, and Hoskins grows to like him eventually too. And they very cleverly paint him in a sympathetic light very early on with mm. being the kind of, you know, act one, the kind of impetus for all of this happening is he's being cheated on by his wife. Yeah. Like, even though it's, it's plain patty cake. Yes! <laughs> it is. Yeah, so it's immediately painting him in a sympathetic light, and you kind of... It helps connect him with the audience, I guess. And, yep. Mm. Yep, exactly. And, um... Because there's really only... There's a handful of characters to the film. And, um, yeah, so Hoskins is really well... Hoskins' commitment is massive. It's crazy, right? Like, he puts on a hell of a performance. Yeah, this <laughs> this was coming off of uh, his uh, Oscar nomination. His one and only Oscar nomination, actually, for um, Mona Lisa, which is a fantastic Neil Jordan film, uh, where he was very much the kind of gruff British antagonist in that. And uh, he, I think, really... His kind of giant breakthrough role is this film called The Long Good Friday, where he plays yeah, a, yeah. a British gangster, and it's a very hard and aggressive film. Yep. And so I think he was primarily known as the tough, gruff character, which kind of made him perfect to slip yep. into the role as the grizzled old detective. It turns out he can slapstick as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, where was that in Super Mario Brothers, the movie? Oh, I know. That's how we got cast. <laughs> yeah. You, you play Mario? The guy in the... Yeah. What did he pick you for? You look nothing like it. <laughs> um, interestingly, like when I was doing a little bit of research, I did find out a couple of alternates that they went to for for, for Valiant. Yeah. Um, apparently, I don't know if there's much validity to this one, but uh, Eddie Murphy said he was offered the role and turned it down, and he regrets it. But like neither Zemeckis yeah, or Spielberg have confirmed that. It's probably the right time for him to have been offered the role. Yeah, I think he would have been. It, and like. He would have been okay, because he did do a kind of film noir kind of detective movie with that he actually wrote and directed himself called Harlem Nights. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, which, like, he can pull off that kind of style, but yeah. I think it would have been a very... It would have been a different film. More serious, because it, it, Valiant is a serious character. He's yeah. not actually a The whole point guy. is he doesn't laugh. He's, yeah. His comedy is gone from his life. So I think casting someone, like, who is known for, like, kind of broad comedy, like Eddie Murphy, would have... Yep kind of curbed expectations I guess yeah who um, else did they the other one that is um, very much confirmed um, Zemeckis and Spielberg uh, Steven Spielberg executive produced this film yep um, he the two of them their first choice and the person they tried to reach out to but they apparently couldn't get in contact with him because it was right around the time where he fired all of his agents and set up a mysterious phone number was Bill Murray yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and apparently Bill Murray had never, like, never got the messages and, like, they well, they just didn't know how to contact they him. They couldn't get in touch with Bill. Um, yep. So apparently the first time Bill Murray found this out was, like, reading it in an article when he was sitting at a cafe and he just screamed out loud because he, like, is, would have died to play that he role. He would have loved that role. And he, I think he would have actually been really good in it. Yeah. As, like, not as good as Hoskins. He is actually the perfect... Hoskins nailed it, yeah. Choice. I just thought he was fantastic. Um... Because he, yeah, he committed to the gruff, he committed to the slapstick, he, like, his heart was in every scene. Yeah. Like, whether he was trying to hide Roger, or he was, whether he was being an alcoholic or whatever, whether he was getting seduced by Jessica Rabbit, even, yeah. if, even the slapstick moments when he, like, 
was in his office and Jessica Rabbit was trying to like convince him of something and he just like stood up too quickly and hit his head on his on her breast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in like a little mini, almost subtle you miss it kind of slapstick yeah. moment. Like his commitment to every little thing. And I think by casting someone who's not who wasn't a movie star as well. Yeah. Like he, he was a very known character actor, but he wasn't a a big star like Bill Murray or Bill at that movie. time, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think by doing that, it, it lends a little bit more kind of believability to the character. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Mm. Um, uh, and, yeah, speak, I guess, similar to his character, um, Doom, <laughs> Judge <Yep>. Doom. <laughs> the uh, Yes, the, the bad guy. The uh, most stereotypical bad guy ever. Yeah. Until uh, you, the twist comes. Yes, I guess we won't go to the twist, really. Don't need to, do we? No, we don't need to. No, yeah. I mean, we, we give a lot of spoilers away here, but we'll save a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it took me a little while, but it, Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> looking like a bald Nazi, let's be honest. Yeah, he with looked the kind like of fake teeth and always wearing weird glasses. Yeah, and, he was very yeah. sort of Indiana Jones, cliched Nazi. Yeah, he looked like <laughs> the guy with the coat hanger. Yes. <laughs> From Raiders of the Lost Exactly, yeah. and that's what I, yeah. So, but he, he was good because um, he's the, the right kind of actor for that kind of role. He played it uh, relatively straight, I mm. guess. Um, but then there were particular moments where he had to get a bit slapsticky. Not much, which yeah. was quite good on the film's behalf. Um, and they, it's probably something important in the film. They managed their slapstick moments well. Yeah, and I think like on what you were just saying about how he played it kind of straight, I think yeah. every, pretty much everyone like what lends to the credibility is everyone's playing it totally straight yeah. and the wackiness comes from the, the tunes. tunes. Yeah. Yeah. And because that's the whole point of the story really is it's the tunes are there, they're there to be, mm. to generate laughter. Yeah. Um, and then they, Jessica Rabbit's line about, you know, it's like, oh, why, why are you with, with, with Roger? Why is he your husband? She's like, because he makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, there we deep. go. All right, cool. <laughs> Fair enough. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, she's got a good guy. Mm. <laughs> I mean, he must must be hard to clean up after him all the time. He must yeah, be breaking he everything. To break everything. But um, although when we go to Toontown, everything pretty much seems broken and smashed up. Toontown so. is a trip of a place. Yeah, that's 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 a weird little sequence. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah, that's a pretty magical place. Mm. Um, particularly Krakow version of, uh, oh, <laughs> of <laughs> Jessica Rabbit. with um, well, I guess we can move on to the themes a little bit yeah, but yeah. The, um, the scene where Hoskins goes to the Ink and Paint Club that's the one which is like a humans only bar where all the staff and performers are tunes <laughs> yeah and that, firstly on that side of things the the, the, um, the Jessica Rabbit performance here and the way it's shot is pretty impressive yeah just like the way it like pans around her you could have just 2D'd her on a stage and then had another shot and had her 2D up in Hoskins' face. Yeah, and then you could have shot, shot it in like, lots of broken coverage, yeah. but instead it's a very sweeping, beautiful mm. steadicam shot. A lot of camera movement, rather mm. than and just... And a lot of interaction as well with the live actor. Yeah, live a lot action. of hands-on, and it genuinely looks like contact. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that's really good. Um, but that was when, yeah, so that's when you mentioned the... Um, that it's the, the thematic it, sort of awesome, yeah. Well, it, it's sort of lending itself, I think. It's, it's leaning in towards what type of... The, the noir elements of it yeah. at that point and the kind of 
history of these type of films, and so that um, I found out doing a bit of research is supposed to be sort of analogous to um, uh, the Cotton Club, where mm. you know it's whites only kind of club where you know it's african-american jazz performers and bar staff and all of that so and i guess as well you could somewhat a link to you know classic noir mystery kind of stuff like casablanca with ricks how the staff yep. is you know sam the piano player and yep yep yeah so it was a kind of i think uh genre and somewhat thematic nod to that yeah and even early on when um hoskins first goes to the the rattler bar or whatever it is mm. um and then the guy with the boiled egg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. guy's making fun of him while peeling his boiled egg. I'm like, mate, you're not really in a place <laughs> to make fun of this guy. Um, he's like, you're defending, you're def- Toon Defender, you defend Toons. Yeah, it's it's not it, subtle with his racist allegories. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, what's wrong with defending a Toon? Yeah. Yeah, it's in- it's an interesting one. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. So it's, it doesn't try and jam those down your throat, but they're, they're kind of there. And then the whole major plot line about trying, it's about finding the, the will to the the rights to Toontown. Yeah. And um essentially humans are trying to get their hands on it really. Yeah, like um, developers and wanna, you know just, just oh, is, well, yeah. well, well we don't really know, but we assume they want to destroy it. Yeah, well he's gonna wipe something. it out. They're gonna do something with it. Yeah. It's a it's fairly rough. And yeah. Um, but yeah, it is and there you know, there is the very clear demarcation line of Toontown and the yep. red down, like, you know, regular LA there's there's some interesting stuff we can dive in with that thematically. <laughs> yes, and then, um, and that that is where the film, like we were saying earlier, is surprisingly, yeah, it, it works very well for adults. Like, yeah, like you said, as a kid, yeah, it's, it's comedy, and kids can definitely you, you watch it. on a base level. And you're not going to get scarred by it. It's very appropriate for a kid to watch. I mean, it's a bit the, weird. There are some moments of darkness, like RK, like RK Maroon being shot and things, and then, of yeah. course, the third act kind of in the warehouse gets very kind there's of... There's a couple of weird moments there. Yeah, yeah. There are some some kind of rougher elements in there, but it's... But compared to some, oh, yeah, it's not no, too bad is, at all. It's fine. Um, but um, when you kind of watch it as an adult, like, the judge doesn't even, like, consider any form of, like, trial. He's like, all right, found a way to kill turns. I'm going to dissolve them in acid. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what? Abuse of power! Yeah. And, like, I was just watching him, and I'm just like... You just remind me of Christoph Waltz yeah, in Inglorious Bastards. He's very reminiscent <laughs> of uh, the Jew hunter. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow. Yeah. So, yes. Mm. But that's, yeah. Well, I suppose, do we get into it at this point? Like, you know, obviously, like, I'm a huge fan of this film, so mm. viewing it as an adult now, like, you, your first time you thoroughly have engaged and enjoyed. Oh, yeah, I loved it, actually. I, I mean, I laughed out loud a lot of times. Mm. Um, and I think that was... Like we said, the the style holds up well visually, which is really important, I guess, for a film like this. Holds up really well. Yeah. All the actors commit well. There's obvious humour and subtle humour. So there's the slapstick elements. Um, but they're, they're well-spaced. They're not too over the top, and they're just well-delivered. And then there's a lot of little subtle things. Like, yeah, you were talking about the early scene where they walk through the film lot. And yeah. then you spotted the cattle call. Yeah, there, I, there were a lot of background puns I was picking up for the first time. Yeah, and you've seen it a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you don't often pay. Like, I suppose that's what happens when you There's see so, it so many, many times. You, you posters in the background. background, like even even like when they're in Toontown and it goes into the. Oh, bathroom. that was 
Weird. And it's like, for a good time, call Alice in Wonder... Alice, Alice and then in Wonderland. Yeah, it just <laughs> like, scrawled on the bathroom wall. Yeah. I and mean, there was more underneath, I didn't have time to read it. Yeah. But, um, just, just lots of little background references and stuff. Mm. And um, a lot of subtle humour, so you could rewatch it and pick up things. Yeah. And you wouldn't get sick of the slapstick because and the, the style of humour, because it's delivered really well. And you believe in the relationship between um, Roger and... Hoskins somehow and I think I mean I kind of keep harping on this point but it is just such a solid detective story that the narrative is like you're happy to rewatch it over and over again because it it is just a fun story and it's not predictable no. I mean, there's only a few characters in it, so you're like, well, it's got to be one of them. Yeah. But you don't watch it and go, it's going to be that guy. Yeah. You're going to be like, well, there's a couple of evil-looking dudes. Mm. The, the, like, we could probably narrow it down to them, but, you know, it could be a bit of a twist in that typical noir way. It sort of shows other people in, in certain lights. It's like, oh, it could be that person. And yeah, it is uh, like he goes to the person he thinks it is, but that person ends up being shot by the person that it actually is. And yeah, and that's the thing. And then it could be somebody else, and yeah. then he goes after them. All those and classic like, Mr. X. Lo- yeah, exactly right. Some great misdirection. Mm. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's an engaging story. Um, I think probably the strongest things about your story, Hoskins, like because he has to, he has to it? carry it, and um, you don't get sick of him at all. No, um, he, he does a great job, and then the animation details, um, and then that sort of stuff, and all the characters like yeah, Roger's good, Jessica's good, the weasels are hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it, all the cameos by everyone else, like just Yosemite Sam rocking up for like yeah. fifteen seconds. Which I like. I was wondering because you get Dumbo for about fifteen seconds earlier, mm. so then they do like kind of tit for tat with Warner Brothers giving one of their solo characters a, th- a yeah. shot, and um, yeah, the obvious big one. Like I'll just sort of get into this little mm. bit of info about um, how there's the the two major scenes with Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse, and then yeah. Donald and Daffy, and there's no winner. There's no winner yeah. between the two, and they uh, both appear on screen and share this exact, exact same, same amount yeah. of screen time. Yeah. That was how the uh, the sort of deal was brokered to be able to yep. license multiple characters from multiple studios. Uh, it's the first and only time Mickey Mouse or any Disney animated character has been licensed outside of a Disney project. Wow. There yeah. you go. And um, I mean, you can... yeah. It, it, t- this was a touchstone film which was part of Buena Vista and Disney like a yep. parent company but it is still and is that why they use Roger as a neutral character essentially yes. yeah. yeah most all the main characters in the film are made up solely for this film yeah because did Jessica Rabbit exist before nope. this no. and Baby Herman and Benny the Cab like they're all made up ca- animated characters and they're based off of classics yeah, yeah, yeah kind across of the classic. genre yeah yeah so that, that's kind of cool how that kind of worked out to make this wonderful story. Yeah, and then they squashed, like, Betty Boop in there and stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. And then just, like... Woody Woodpecker, like, all those old Archie stuff. Yeah, yeah there's so many background ones who just get a couple of seconds here and there. You, you and almost want to... The very final scene of the film, you almost want to pause it to have, like, a Where's Wally of, like, all the animated characters. Yeah, if you love animation, because I, I recognise a, a number of them, mm. but there's just so many others, I'm like... You, you recognise styles, I'm like, but that's probably actually guy's got a name. Like, yeah. none of them... I'm sure none of them are I'm made sure up. I'm sure it's deep cuts for animators. Like, yeah. the animators would have slipped in their favourites and things. Yeah, because so. they would have had a huge history and that sort of stuff. Mm. And um, But I suppose, should we jump to, like, the, the sort of big question is, uh, what would uh, young Eric have thought of this film? That's... I reckon that's actually quite a hard one. Mm. Um, adult Eric loved it. Yeah. Um, young Eric... Probably would have liked it, but I don't think he would have loved it as much. 
Because I think is it's, that because you, uh, like you're saying it's more. It is actually an adult film, really. Yeah, and at the end of the day, those those sort of more Warner Brothersy ones, particularly as a kid, I just didn't connect with just the goofiness of them. Like some of them were quite fun, but I wouldn't watch that much. Yeah, I watch after school and on TV, and I'd be happy to watch it again the next day and next week. But I never loved them. Yeah, um, I quite enjoyed when you brought them all together in a big way. Like Space Jam was quite enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one's hard to say because it's, it's pretty different and it does have a lot of adult to it. Yeah. And I wouldn't have recognised Bob Hoskins as a kid. It probably would have, Matt, so it would have depended what age I saw it at. So I think I would have enjoyed it, but I don't think it's one I would have rewatched a lot of times. Yeah, it would have been one you were like, oh yeah, I saw that and kind of forgot about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty good. Mm. Whereas I know like Space Jam was just, I don't know, maybe, maybe I enjoyed, I mean, I played basketball. <laughs> but, so that's um, why that yeah, yeah exactly I love Michael Jordan so yeah. <laughs> that side of thing perhaps the celebrity attached to that and the um, and the more recognisable characters that I already knew might yeah. have drawn me to that whereas this and one a, and a simpler narrative yeah well. this one I, I just I think if I was a lot younger I probably wouldn't have got all those extra bits that make this film so good yeah um, so no very glad I've watched it now though um, yeah well I guess that, was there any other kind of stuff you wanted to mention or point out or discuss, I guess? I don't think so. I mean, I just... I just yeah, like I said beforehand, I, I all I knew about it was it had Bob Hoskins and Roger Rabbit. Like, until I saw the DVD cover, I forgot there was an animated car. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I, I just really thought it was those two. And um, I never even really thought about the title, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So yeah. I never actually even considered it would be a murder mystery. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I never really thought about it. Mm. I was like, oh, so there's one of those films out there. I know it's this, this one of those type. And I, I guess I didn't know what to expect. I'd heard good things, but you know, a lot of those hybrid crossovers can not be that good, really. Yeah. Like I have fond memories of Space Jam, but I know I think if I watch it as an adult, yeah, it's not great. No, it's not great. <laughs> uh, and I don't have any desire to rewatch it as an adult. I'm happy to keep the happy memories. Yeah, exactly. Just leave, leave that one as it. Yeah, was. Yeah, leave it as it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, no. I was just it, this had so much more to it than mm. I um, knew, and uh, and yeah, exceeded expectations comfortably. Nice. Um, well, sort of what we've been doing to kind of end each of these is kind of uh, I've been looking up sort of a few elements that kind of lend to the longevity of the film and like yeah. its staying power. Why is stuff. it still important? Yeah. So back when it was first released, it was nominated for six Academy Awards. Um, it won four of them, mostly mm-hmm. for you know editing and special effects and things. But it actually received the Special Achievement Award after the animation director, Richard Williams, which I yep. <laughs> very much deserve. Fair enough. Uh, Hoskins got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actor for it. Good on him. Uh, as well as the film was nominated. And it got nominated for a bucket load of BAFTAs, actually, including Best Screenplay. What? Yeah, really? yeah, but the um the one what, that was I... was there a shortage in British cinema that year? I, well, I mean, the BAFTAs do just... It, they I, know, of, I know, but yeah. <laughs> if American cinema couldn't recognise... It was a nominated for Best Adapted. Screenplay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but the one that I was very happy to see is that uh, last year, actually, in uh, 2016, it was inducted into the National Film Registry. As well? As a library. Another one. Yeah, so all three <laughs> so far we've yeah. done. Yeah. All right. So it, it got in there last year, which I was like, I'm kind of happy it, it's yeah, in yeah, there yeah. being recognised. Wow, cool. Um, the other kind of thing we've been doing is uh, looking at the... Um, the kind of gross of like in terms of how much money yeah. and things it made. So um, let me just get this up. Here we go. Uh, so worldwide, when it was first released, it made three hundred and twenty nine million dollars, 
the all-time adjusted for inflation, it's uh, the 200th highest grossing film of all time. So that's pretty impressive. It was not the highest grossing film of the year, which I actually found kind of surprising. 88? Yeah. What was? Rain Man, weirdly. Really? Yeah. Which, uh, that, when I saw that, I was like... A oh, great film. Great film, but I, yeah. it's not one you expect to be Dude. a huge box office hit. No, exactly. Yeah, that's... The... I mean, it did win Best Picture and stuff. But, yeah, I guess so. But it's... Yeah. I, I would have expected this to be the number just, one. Just probably your picture it might have a broader audience. Yeah, and also yeah. kids as well, whereas exactly. Rain Man's not exactly a movie you take no, I don't know how many kids that understand that one. Or... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So... Sweet. Well, <laughs> I guess... 200, there you go. Yeah. So I guess that'll probably wrap us up talking about uh, yep. Robert Zemeckis's '88 classic, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Sounds good. Well, it's probably time then to dip into the hat. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got the uh, the trusty <laughs> top hat here with a list of films in there. Do you want to pick out again? Yeah. Yep. Right. I'll get it. So this. Uh, so next week, uh, or next next time, the film we're going to be looking at. <laughs> it's about time. Die Hard. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, finally, yeah, this is, yes, like I said, there's, well, there's some films I haven't seen. Here's, um, here's a question with this one, though. Do, do we do Die Hard, or do we save Die Hard for Christmas time? <laughs> it's a very hard one. It is, because it is kind of universally hailed as the best and coolest Christmas movie, so... Should we, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have put it in the hat. Yeah. <laughs> I'd debate that and Home Alone would be the two kind of Christmassy ones. Alright. Um, would you like a re-record? Oh, no, it's fine. I'll just cut around. Okay. <laughs> Alright, we'll save Die Hard till Christmas. I think, yeah, we need a Christmas special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're gonna pull out sorry, Home Alone sorry, listeners. You've got to wait longer to hear me decide whether or not I like Die Hard. You're going to pull out Home Alone now as well. I know the <laughs> other Christmas movie in there. Alright, what have we got? So, oh, yeah, very similar ilk in a way, I guess. Rocky. Oh, sweet. There we okay. go. So we're not letting many people down. I mean, yeah. less guns, I assume. Oh, none. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. more, more fists of fury. Yeah, this is going to um, be interesting. This is one of, I think, maybe two films that actually dip out of the 80s and move into the late 70s. Yes, exactly. So, so this is one there's of only like one or two of them. So Yeah. Um, so, no, that'll be, that'll be a great one. Um, I have the Tiger and Sylvester Stallone. No, common misconception. Oh, yeah, that's number three, isn't it? It is. See, there we go. Yeah. So, looking forward to it and, uh, and learning so I don't make that mistake again. Exactly. Um, so, that, that'll be good. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, thanks for listening and, uh, yeah, we'll uh, catch you all again in uh, a fortnight's time when we look at Rocky. Can't wait. It's yeah. going to be good. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Eric. We'll, uh, we'll catch you then. Move along. There's nothing else to see. That's all, folks. Hmm. I like the sound of that. That's all, folks. <laughs> Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library.